Good morning, brethren and sisters. I must explain to you that this first address on discipleship in Deuteronomy has a rather long introduction. The reason is that in order to appreciate the idea which these addresses are intended to convey, you need to grasp the principles upon which they are based. And the introduction is concerned with trying to expose what those principles are. I say this so that you will not be discouraged right at the beginning. Um, I shall therefore depend this morning on your optimistic fortitude while I go through the introduction. Because you are well taught in the Word of God in this place, in South Africa, it will come as no surprise to you that the book of Deuteronomy is relevant and is valuable and is altogether um, helpful in respect of our own discipleship. It is rich in those things which concern our life in Christ Jesus. Because the master life which was once revealed and incarnated by the man of Nazareth um, has its roots deep in the principles of the book of Deuteronomy. You'll remember that when our Lord was tempted in the wilderness, when he was assaulted by the powers of darkness, in that moment he sought and found his defense in the last words of Moses which were spoken to the people of Israel on the plains of Moab. So that if proof were needed that this book of Deuteronomy is valuable to his disciples, indeed this would be proof enough. But there are other reasons why the teaching of Deuteronomy is so ap applicable to people such as we are. Because the words were spoken to the people of God on the threshold of a new life, on the perimeter of a new land. Uh, people who had experienced the hazards and the wonders of the wilderness journey, uh, led and nurtured by Yahweh their God, and deeply conscious of their appalling weakness and uh, of their real condition apart from him. So that I need hardly draw the parallel at this stage. We have good reason to believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. I know that some of you are sitting on the edges of your chairs with your spiritual hats and coats on uh, just waiting for the day of possession that's not a complaint I'm glad that it's true so we are right to sing today remember the glory remember the land and then in addition there's something else to ponder some of the things which Moses spoke are so fundamental that they are perpetually true they are true on every level of life. They are timeless in their application. And it's true because he spoke on the basis of unchanging principles. That is why this book is so valuable. The principles are eternal. They were true then. They are true now. So the introduction is seeking to prove that to you. The introduction is seeking to show you that this is so these old words spoken so long ago in what may seem to us to be a far off land they are utterly true today in the city of Durban let me just therefore 
in the introduction illustrate what I mean I want to bring you to the 29th chapter of Deuteronomy glad to wait because I want you to look at the words yourselves carefully it's Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 the last verse of the chapter the secret things belong unto the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law now swiftly and briefly we want to look at those words first of all in their immediate context of the life of Israel then after that to see them as part of the life of humanity on the ordinary level and then finally to look at them as a principle of life for those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God called blood sprinkled and chosen such as you are so let's notice those words first of all in the context of the life of Israel let's notice first of all the order of the process as Moses spoke it there the order of the process of that verse is how God saw it it's it's the process in the sight of God first of all there are the secret things known only to God then in the course of his purpose he reveals part of those secret things to men that is to say his word is spoken his will subsequently is documented the result is that men because of that are able to respond to it and as a result of it they are able to keep his law so that's the process the secret things of God revealed by God understood by men responded to by men and then they are able to keep his law now that is God's view of the condition that Moses described man's view of it is different in fact man's view of it in a way is exactly opposite it is reversed for men first of all there is the revelation from God now apart from that revelation there is nothing that we can know of God really uh, certainly nothing of his purpose apart from his revelation but as a result of the revelation men are able to respond and they keep his law and as a result of keeping his law they discover the secret things do you see in the, in the sight of God it begins with the secret things in the sight of men it ends with the secret things it's a reversal now our business today is to examine the process from man's point of view, point of view. there are three elements the secret things the revealed things the capacity to keep the law let's think first of all of the revealed things in relation then to the people of Israel 
We could say, couldn't we, that the revealed things are all those signs and signals that came from God to his people, right from their deliverance in Egypt, in their wanderings, in their preservation, in their protection by God, so that they came to know what God was really like, and so they came to know themselves in the process. That's what we could say, but there is a strange verse in Deuteronomy 29 which I'd like you to notice it's verse 4 Deuteronomy 29 verse 4 <coughs> every word in the Bible is important let's notice the words carefully verse 4 says Moses speaking but the Lord hath not given you an heart to know and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day that's a strange sentence it seems to say that in their wanderings and in their wilderness experience blindness in part had happened unto Israel it seems as though God's revelation of himself had not altogether touched their hearts it had not altogether penetrated their minds but the Lord thy God hath not given you a heart to know nor eyes to see nor ears to hear unto this day but now you see there is a change now as Moses spoke these last words to Israel on the plains of Moab in this great discourse we call the book of Deuteronomy the last words of Moses it seems that their hearts now are equipped to know their eyes are able to see their ears can hear the things which hitherto had been hidden in a sense the secret things are now being revealed that is to say there is a limitation placed on the period of Israel's indifference unto this day means that the days of blindness are coming to an end there is a sense in which from now on the unknowable will be known the, the unseeable will be seen the inaudible will be heard um, the revealed things which belong to us and to our children they are to be understood um, what were the revealed things well they are the things which Moses spoke the reiteration the development of the great law first spoken at Sinai and then um, enlarged and expanded when you read this great law carefully as you have of course and as you know it well it's quite evident it's not by any means just a set of rules it is essentially a way of life it's a way of life which touches the people of God in every aspect of their living it touches the people of God in the deepest recesses of their experience how wrong it is to say that all law is in the Old Testament and all grace is in the New Testament this law of God spoken by Moses is rich in grace it reveals God as a loving father caring deeply for the salvation of his people compassion is the golden thread which runs through the fabric of the law mercy is the quality of its directions love is the master passion of its provisions you can just think quickly of some examples think for example of the great idea of sanctuary in the law of Moses the provision of cities of refuge for those who would need protection from the hate and the harm of any who might hastily seek to take revenge think of the man who is called to go to war 
and he has just married his young wife you know the law of what we call civilized countries and they will call him nevertheless whether he's just married or not it makes no difference they will separate him from his wife be he ever so young but this ancient law divine in its provision divinely compassionate said no no he must stay and realize the joy of life to life and love to love which God had bestowed upon him in his marriage think of the terror of the man who um, being afraid is forced to go to the battle the faint hearted who are forced to fight the compassion of the law made provision uh, for such and provided a way of release the poor are never to be exploited the rich are always to be merciful there must be just weights and just measures these things are to be established there is purity and justice and mercy and righteousness and holiness and there is joy and obedience and so Israel in living this way of life would discover what their God was really like by submission to the revealed things the secret things of God may be discovered this was the master principle then which Moses enunciated there in his last words to the people of God enunciated there as they were going forward into the new experience of life the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law so they were to be his people and so he was their God well we can leave that local situation now and try to think of the great principle on the level of ordinary human experience as part of the science of life remember what the principle is you I hope I shan't weary you brother president by keep um, saying what it is I don't want you to lose sight of it the secret things belong unto God but the revealed things belong to us and to our children so that we may do all the words of this law now let's think of that as part of the science of daily life first of all there are the secret things which belong to God then there are the revealed things which men may discover as a result of submission to those revealed things they are able to understand the secret things as they keep the law so they come nearer to the truth now for myself I believe that it is a divinely natural part of men to seek to know what is unknown you may not agree but never mind this is how it appears to me it is part of human nature it is part of man's makeup God made him like this it is one of the things that distinguishes him from all other created things it's the thing that places him at the summit of divine creation there is in the mind of man a note of perpetual interrogation I believe this to be a perfectly proper part of God's purpose so that when somebody comes to me and says Brother Gillett, do you not think it's a terrible thing that men have reached the moon? I say I do not. I am not shocked. Um, uh, in all honesty, I must say that it is just what I would have expected them to do. Because they are like this. 
within certain bounds it's a perfectly proper activity set deep in human nature now I'm very careful to say within certain bounds because it is evident there are certain secret things which men may not know and when they reach that point it marks the limit of their investigation beyond that God will not allow them to go when he reaches that limit God will halt him and beyond that limit for the time being he must be halted and he must uh, accept the mystery you see I happen to believe that every discovery of man is really a revelation of God that is to say men discover what God is ready to allow them to know and at the set time according to his purpose I believe when the Peter said of the king he is Lord of all he meant that every word in the Bible is important when Peter said he is Lord of all he meant that he is Lord of all Lord of the scientist Lord of the architect Lord of the physicist Lord of the politician they may not recognize him as Lord but Lord he is nevertheless that is to say they discover what he is disposed to reveal so that's no coincidence that when the time was right for the great spiritual reformation in Europe Gutenberg discovered printing it's just as certain that it's no coincidence when the world draws near to the moment of its final agony men have discovered nuclear energy now here you see it's a vital thing to observe behind every revealed thing there is a hidden thing behind every visible thing there is the invisible thing can I just detain you for a moment on words are you fond of exegesis here can we, spend, can we spend a little while on words for a moment you see the literal meaning of the Hebrew word for the revealed things in that verse the literal meaning of the Hebrew word is the things which are denuded if you want to go to the literal Hebrew it may not be so poetic but never mind the things which are denuded that is to say things which are stripped things which are visible things which can be touched and felt and appreciated by the senses on the other hand the literal meaning of the Hebrew word for the secret things is just the opposite it means the clothed things the things which are clothed um, things which are real enough but they are hidden by a covering so that they cannot be touched and they cannot be seen and they cannot be felt there's no doubt of their reality there's no doubt of their reality but they are hidden now I am saying brethren and sisters that behind every revealed thing there is a hidden thing behind the material always there is the invisible and this is true at every level of existence uh, on the level of the material on the level of the mental and on the level of the spiritual let me just give you a very simple example well now here we are I'm glad it was here else the example would have failed now <laughs> you see behind you think of it now you think of it behind this glass of water there is first of all the thought of the designer there is the skill of the maker there is the idea of the craftsman and there is the love of the kind hands who um, was thoughtful enough to make sure it was here and so that I can fill the glass and 
Harold can fill the glass if he feels thirsty and weary and we can be refreshed and this is, this is how it is with life um, behind the great poem, the symphony the, um, the philosophy there is the invisible mind of the writer, the composer, the philosopher now this great principle is true in the realm of the spiritual behind the outward things of religion there are the spiritual counterparts there are the outward and visible works of the, uh, of the religious life but behind them we know that it is the invisible and the spiritual motive which is the reality we may sing songs today so help us God we may sing songs in this house and the songs will be heard but you know that it's the condition of your heart which makes the song an act of worship if the condition of your heart is wrong your song will no go, go no higher than the roof of this building baptism is of vital importance but we know that the outward act of getting wet in a bath is really of no consequence what makes it important is the act of submission the outward act must be matched by the invisible grace of, of the right quality the act of faith the point is that the revealed thing, the external thing, and the invisible thing, the hidden thing, they are closely united. One is a counterpart of the other. The revealed thing expresses so much of the hidden thing as we, by our consciousness, are able to understand at any given time. The master principle is this, therefore. Discover the law which is revealed in the revealed thing, and you have found the method by which the secret thing may be discovered obey the law which you discover and you have the possibility of entering into communion with the secret things of God the hidden things can I just give you a couple of illustrations take electricity now once measured by human time I suppose we must say once long ago men were probing they were watching they were pondering accidentally at first something flashed upon the imagination of the watcher what did the watcher do well he, he set himself to discover the law which he which he suspected must operate behind the revelation that he discovered he went on patiently and going on patiently he discovered the law and when he obeyed the law he found himself in the midst of forces of which before he had never dreamed of which he had no conception hitherto and which today we take as commonplace take another example the world of horticulture you know years ago men saw and watched the growth and habit of a little daisy like plant they called composite they investigated it, they, they tried it, they watched it, they nursed it they noticed its habits they, they, they discovered the law which was in it they unclothed the secret of its growth and its possibility today it is a marvel, a joy, a flame of glory we call it chrysanthemum obey the law of the revealed thing and immediately I tell you you have touched the infinite force within it you see do you know that there is a law within all created things you take for example the the glory of the tulip the glory of the tulip is one is due to the fact that it obeys the law which is within it and upon it and being faithful to that law it exposes the secret things which are locked within the mystery of what we call the tulip bulb it gives God glory 
because it is faithful to the law of the tulip which is locked within it and it exposes the glory of God because of its faithfulness now nevertheless although the secret things are exposed in this realm of things are they not to us still secret do you not feel this in your heart we may come to observe the revealed things and yet in some ways they are still secret are they not take the mystery of the tulip is it not to the botanist still a mystery do you know for example how it is do you understand how it is that there is perfume in a violet have you ever thought of it it never ceases does it while it lives from whence does it come it is always there and it is always going out from whence does it come ever present or again by what strange alchemy of things is this petal red and this petal yellow is it not a mystery you see they tell me they tell me that diamonds are made of carbon and so is a jellyfish <laughs> if you understand that well you are welcome to it it makes me smile when I hear men say they cannot believe in the resurrection because it, it asks them to accept a mystery do you know we live and move and have our being right in the heart of mystery we are surrounded by it and the great flaming principle of Moses has marked it for us there in this great book of Deuteronomy the secret things belong unto the Lord our God and the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law discover the revealed things find the law that is in them obey the law and you will unclothe the secret forces which hitherto are hidden and perchance in doing it as these men have done in the past on the level of ordinary life the man who found electricity the man who developed composite found themselves co-workers with God found themselves to be close to the mystery of life fellow workers development of his creation the revelation of his glory remember the things seen are only the externals of some deeper thing our Lord made use of external things but he never led us to believe that the figure was really the fact when he said I am the true vine for example he didn't mean that he was borrowing the vine as a figure of what he was like he didn't mean that as it appears to me the deeper truth is that Jesus is the original vine the, the original vine um, living and bearing fruit being crushed and offering his blood the flowing out of him of life and restoration for men and then as it were God planted the vine in the field as a replica of what his son was like Christ is the true vine these vines which you grow so splendidly in South Africa are replicas 
I am. He didn't mean when he said, I am the true vine, all of the vines are false. It is not true and false. It is original and replica. He is the original vine. All your vines are replicas. When we handle a common loaf, we say this is bread, but that isn't the whole truth. The common loaf, in a sense, is a symbol of the true bread. There, are, there is another bread, which is the real bread. I am the true bread which cometh down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. There is a sense in which every common loaf of bread is a sacramental symbol of the bread of heaven. The cross was a rough thing made of wood, one piece lying across another. If anybody wants to argue it was just a stake, I don't mind. It was a rough piece of wood, one piece lying across another. That also is a revealed thing, at the back of which there is a secret thing, more real and more unfathomable. The real cross is the love of God passing from heaven to earth, and across it, lying across it, red, scarlet, is sin. Behind every visible thing, there is a secret thing and Moses said uh, the revealed things are ours and what for? so that we may pursue the revealed things obey the law which is therein and become possessors of the secret things things that bring us into touch with God and with the secret things which are associated with him well now that was in case you've forgotten it that was the application of the principle on the level of ordinary life we have now to think about it as I said on the spiritual level that is to say in respect of ourselves and uh, it is to be thought of on the practical level as you obey his law and as you are incarnate his will in your own life so as a consequence you draw nearer to the deep things of God that is to say in your experience of his ways so you um, uncover the secret things of his will and the true meaning of his word um, can I bring you back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 brethren and sisters have a look again at Deuteronomy chapter 8 Moses said it's verse 2 I'd like you to look at Moses said in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 8 and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years in the wilderness that he might humble thee to prove thee to know what was in thine heart whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no first of all observe the mystery and the wonder of God's method isn't it strange he led them circuitously so that at last they would be straight. He delayed them in the wilderness so that at last he might speed them on their way into the good land. And when Moses uses the word prove, to prove thee, it doesn't mean that God was wanting to find out what was in them. The mystery and the wonder of God's method, isn't it strange? He led them circuitously so that at last they would be straight. He delayed them in the wilderness so that at last he might speed them on their way into the good land. And when Moses uses the word 
prove, to prove thee. It doesn't mean that God was wanting to find out what was in them, for he knew that already. He wanted them to find out for themselves what they were like themselves. He wanted them to be outwardly what they were inwardly. And in the keeping of his law, the secret things were revealed. You see, all God's methods tend to humbling. He brings his people into circumstances which will reveal the secret forces of their own nature. He brings them into situations which will compel them to recognize that essentially they depend upon him. If there is secret rebellion, for example, in a man, supposing there is secret rebellion in a man's heart, that man, under the providence of God, will be led into a situation where the rebellion will be brought into the light. Because in the light it can be recognized, and in the light it can be repudiated, and in the light it can be abandoned for what it is. And so it is with impurity, or cowardice, or greed. God brings a man into such situations as will bring out of him what he is really like. A good example of this is the case of Judas. They made him the Lord's treasurer. They said about Judas, give him the bag. Now, it could have brought out the best in him if it was there, couldn't it? If he was made the treasurer, then it would have given him the opportunity to exercise qualities of generosity and sympathy and compassion. But instead it revealed him to be dishonest, covetous and hard. Some men discover the truth about themselves in the winepress of God's purpose. When you are in the truth, in a sense, you are in a winepress. And God is making you to be outwardly what you are inwardly. Now, if that were all that there is to say about it, then indeed it would be a terrible thing to think about in isolation. But there's more to it. Uh, notice again what Moses said in verse 2. He said, Thou shalt remember all the way that the Lord thy God hath led thee. Now, let's mark it well. Uh, thou shalt remember all the way. It means that the backward look, the remembering is a backward look. The backward look is really the look that looks on and forward in hope. You see, one of the great certainties of life, I wonder if you'll, if you'll be sympathetic with me in this, one of the great certainties of life is the past. Of course it can be one of the great agonies too. For some of us, it's an agony, the past. It's irreparable. It can't be changed. But nevertheless, it's a certainty. That's why it's certain, it cannot be changed. Now when these words were first uttered, it was for the people of God a time of change. The wilderness was before them, the new life was before them. A new era was beginning with them. A new era with its new responsibilities. The responsibilities of anticipation. These people were on the fringe of a new life and a new land. They knew something of the country which was before them. Indeed the words of Moses had told them in one of the finest pieces of poetry in the whole of the Bible. Did you notice it? It's in chapter 8 that we read in verse 7. Did you notice it? It said, Moses said, For the Lord thy God, this is verse 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of uh, fountains and depths, springing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil and olives, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest 
seek grass, and thou shalt eat and be filled, be filled, and thou shalt bless the Lord Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. So they knew something of the land into which they were going, but they did not know, what they didn't know was this, they didn't know what lay between them and the good land. So that a little later on, in Joshua is going to say to them, ye have not passed this way heretofore, that's in Joshua chapter 3 verse 4, ye have not passed this way heretofore, they were, there, they were aware therefore of the uncertainty of the future. Now there may be a certain fascination in being in, in facing the unknown but always well not always but often with the fascination there is always the fear um, there are with the fascination anxieties which arise doubts whether we may be able to meet and vanquish all the things that lie ahead so we must mark the fascination and the fear and consider this that for the wise man there is value in both both in the fascination and in the fear in the fifth chapter of the third in the fifth verse of the third chapter of Joshua he said sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you now what he meant was tomorrow is the Lord's therefore today is for you because you cannot see tomorrow in the very uncertainty there is value because it compels men of faith and men of wisdom to grasp the forces which will make them equal to the things of tomorrow. You see, if I am to march amongst precipices, in the midst of ambushed foes, one step at a time, one day at a time, over terrain which is strange and unknown, facing mystery and uncertainty, then sanctified common sense compels me to be equipped and fortified for the journey. Well, I almost hesitate to make the parallel now at this stage between those people and ourselves, save to say that we do not know, do we, what lies between us and the kingdom of God. We know it is near. We thank God it is near. But we do not know what really, personally, we do not know what lies between us and the kingdom of God. I do not know how many victorious Jerichos there may be for me I do not know how many disappointments like AI there may be but you and I we ought to, uh, ought to be deeply conscious of the responsibilities of anticipation in the face of the uncertainty therefore I think we are entitled nay we are constrained to ask apart from the uncertainty what are the certainties that we may grasp and take with us on the journey well, first of all, let us go back and hear a word of Moses as he came to the end of his leadership, as the people turned to face the new circumstances and the new experience. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, again, he charged them, he said, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years in the wilderness. I repeat again, therefore, that one of the certainties of life is the past. It's fixed and it's irreparable, as we've said already. And to the man of faith, it can be a covert from the tempest, as the rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Why? Why is the past so valuable? 
Well, because past deliverance predicts future deliverance. Because past succor um, promises future succor. Because past guidance predicates future guidance. This is what I mean, brethren and sisters. There is a river before us. All right, there is a river before us. How shall it be crossed? Well, measure the problem of the river by the problem of the Red Sea. The water was divided then, it can be divided again. There is an unknown land before us. How shall we find our way? Well, measure the unknown land which is before us by the unknown wilderness which is behind us. He who led once can lead again. There is a new country. How shall we be sustained in the new country? Well, measure the coming hunger by the past manner and the past water. This is how David met the problems of the present when he was assaulted by his enemies. His faith was assaulted. He fell back on his remembrance of the past. That was the great... It's in Psalm 42. You'll remember it well. The enemies of David chided him. They said, Where is now thy God? They were saying, Where is he now? What good is he now? What's he doing for you now? They assaulted his faith. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He said. And why art thou disquieted within me? It was an invitation to doubt, an invitation to turn traitor. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And then, in his difficulty, he remembered the past. He said, I remember what this God is like. I remember Jordan and Hermon and Mizar. I remember how he delivered me. He suckered me. He lifted it up. He kept me. So that he is singing at last, Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Remembrance of the past generates hope for the future. So, as you face tomorrow, let nobody take away from you, brethren and sisters, wherever you are, let nobody take away from you your certainty of yesterday. And of course, there are plenty of people who would like to take it away, just as there were in David's day. They may confuse us about the problems of next year, but let them not confuse us about the solutions of last year. We were led, were we not? You will know what I mean. We were led, were we not, in the great and terrible wilderness, in the hour of extremity. He was there. The great Yahweh. There was no bread, and it rained from heaven. There was no water, and the flint gushed out. There was no certain way in the dreary wilderness and he went before us and found a place of rest. We sang a song on the safe side of the Red Sea. Let nobody therefore frighten you with a running river. Never doubt your own experience. If you know what he is like, this great God of Israel, in the crises and in the commonplaces of life, cling to that at all costs. Think of the day when the bitterest waters were made sweet. Um, think of the day when you came to Elim at last and found rest think on it and make it the inspiration of your life it's one of the great certainties as we go into the unknown I 
can well believe I can well believe that there are people in this house today who once came to Mara the place of bitterness and when they experienced Mara they were nearly broken and thereafter my brethren they were never the same again but now looking back on it and remembering all the way that the Lord thy God had led them they wouldn't be without it because in the way of Mara somehow they discovered the secret things of God in the way of Mara they understood better the mystery of his purpose they came to know more deeply the wonder of his providential care they were fortified thereby for all the days that lie ahead before at last they enter into the good land it was in their profound experience of God that they came to realize the deepest meaning of this holy word in the keeping, in the keeping of his law his will has been revealed and consequently the secret things have been unveiled because the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever in the days of past extremity they discovered the riches of his grace and it is by these things that men live do you know this? not by bread not by dust not by roses, roses all the way not by sunshine, continual sunshine not even by milk and honey certainly not by garlic, leeks and onions not by beautiful rivers men do not live by these things men live by every word that cometh from the mouth of God heard with hushed spirits obeyed with reverent fear realized in all the experiences of the way led out they are and led in obstacles placed in the way obstacles removed from the way today they are being broken tomorrow they are being remade today they are being confined today they are being constricted tomorrow they are being flung out into new places and new ways they are being delayed so that they may be speeded on their way they are being led circuitously so that at last they may go straight they are being denied so that at last they may be blessed how incomprehensible are his ways how unsearchable his paths the secret things of God so that at last it is true the invisible can be seen the inaudible can be heard the unknowable can be known the secret things belong unto the Lord our God but the revealed things belong unto us and to our children forever so that we may do all the words of this law and discover the secret things at last now I put it to you with reverence that this process 
is an essential part of our own discipleship. It is a perpetual may do all the words of this law and discover the secret things at last now I put it to you with reverence that this process is an essential part of our own discipleship it is a perpetual inspiration to present endeavour it is revealed most surely in the great book of Deuteronomy Amen.